Vincent van Gogh preferred to paint people rather than cathedrals because he said the eyes reveal the inward soul, whether a poor beggar or a street worker. As a journalist, I'm also drawn to the eyes of the people I interview. Whether meeting musicians or murderers, scientists or six-year-old children, I not only listen to the voices and wait on the words, but stay on the unspoken in the eyes. What lies behind those transparent windows to the soul? The first pair of eyes that hold me are my mother's. I'm seven years old, cuddling with mum in church and running my fingers over and over again in circles across her soft, velvety fur coat. I imagine she is a fuzzy mother bear. She is a short, bosomy, fun-loving woman with brown, lustrous curls and big blue eyes like Betty Davis. Sitting on the hard wooden pews and hiding under her luxurious fur coat, I feel totally safe in her warmth. I listen to sermons about the love of God, spending hours with my eyes transfixed on a large wooden cross hanging mid-air above the pulpit. It is powerful stuff for a young girl looking around at stained glass windows with scenes of people being healed and Jesus holding little children on his lap. I know without a shadow of a doubt that God loves me. My mother prods me to be a missionary when I grow up. Well, I don't know about that idea, Mum, I say quietly, already acutely aware of in the few years of my life that there is a non-conforming side to my personality. She hugs me anyway. A soft-hearted woman, Mum rescues abandoned children who are in need of a loving home because she believes that love conquers all evil. With arms open wide to embrace the rejected in society, our house may best be described as a noisy, multicultural carnival. In addition to raising me and my three biological brothers, my parents open our home to an array of foster kids. Mum also gives free respite to the weary parents of a severely disabled girl. Little Jodie continually screams and bangs her head. Not surprisingly, it's chaos in our kitchen, where all the action is. My parents end up adopting two little boys, Johnny, an Asian youngster, and Louie, a Native American boy who suffers from fetal alcohol syndrome. They are innocent, live-wired boys. While they may not have grown up inside her womb, Mum assures the boys they were formed in a much, much better place. You see, my wonderful, precious boys, you're so special, I actually chose you to grow in my heart. She says, see, she points under her amply endowed bosom. You grew right here inside my heart, right here, she says, as she kisses the top of their foreheads and elevates their position to the top of the family hierarchy. It is completely fair, according to Mum's rule of justice, that these boys who have been abandoned would, so, would be so luxuriantly pampered in our home. The whole family buys into that love. It is the way of God's compassion. Mum loves these ragamuffin orphans with a great kindness, and as I watch her shower them with love, I too feel the exhilarating, liberating power of love. Little Johnny has been discarded by his real mum and dad and tossed back and forth between three foster homes by the time he was 11 months old. The brown-eyed boy steals mum's heart as soon as he moves in. Never will you feel alone, she says to him. We all nod. Johnny is mum's boy to stay. She feels every one of his tears of pain. As he grows to be a teenager, she tells the social workers that Johnny needs a good counsellor because he keeps getting in trouble with the law. He crashes a car. His teachers kick him out of class. Meanwhile, mum continues to pray to God to be patient with him, as God is. She never stops loving him. Mum worries helplessly year after year, trying to get him help but she is hindered by a social system that ignores his developing identity crisis and struggle with homosexuality. Finally, at the age of 25, he is HIV positive and commits suicide. Anguish now dims the bright blue eyes in my mother's eyes. 
Nine months after Johnny died, just about the time it takes to conceive, carry and deliver another child, Louis, my other adopted brother, dies in a car accident. Louis, whose heritage includes a long line of alcoholics, is 21 years old and drinking beer with a carload of friends, skidding along the Fraser Canyon Highway. Crashing boulders claim the neural endings of his brain, a sensitive, kind young man whose legacy is a fatal brain injury. Mum had tenderly loved this boy too, nurturing him with hefty cheek kisses and hugs, warning him not to drink because his genes carry the alcoholic weakness. Another part of Mum's all-embracing heart collapses, yet she carries on. Still, her faith remains strong. God knows our hearts, she says, as she tries to make sense of the tragedies. She continues to trust in the God of love and justice, who will eventually wipe away all sorrow and, t and tears and make the crooked things of this woeful world straight. All things will pass away one day, she says. We are only here on earth for a very short time. So while we still have the life in us, we must never stop loving others. As she comforts me, I realize much later in life that she had modeled in her own special way the kindness of God who comforts us in all our afflictions. Thanks, Amy. Just wanted to, to start with that short extract. It's kind of the final lines there, really, the God who comforts us in all of our afflictions. And in this series of Who is God?, over the recent weeks, we've been looking at the character of God. Uh, the one who sorts everything out was the kind of the title I spoke about. Got a little bit in trouble about that one in Eastbourne. I spoke a little bit about UKIP. We have strong UKIP supporters and uh, they came back at me. But the one who sorts everything out, God's manifesto. Uh, the one who brings peace, the conqueror of death, the true and living, the, the rock. Who is God? What is God like? This week, I'm looking at the mother of compassion. God's paternal, maternal instincts towards us. God the Father's maternal compassion for us. So we're going to be looking into Isaiah 49 like we have been during this series. Uh, just a few verses. Verse 13, it should come up onto the screen behind. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Bring forth, break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people. And will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even these may forget. Yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Here's another translation of the same passage. A new translation to me called The Voice said this. Oh, joy, be glad. Sky, take joy. Earth, burst into song. Mountains, for the eternal, moved to compassion, has comforted and consoled his pe people. And then the conversation takes place. Zion says, the eternal one has abandoned me. God has walked out of the door. My Lord has left me alone. He has forgotten all about me. And the eternal one replies, is it possible for a mother however disappointed, however hurt, to forget her nursing child? Can she feel nothing for the baby she carried and birthed? Even she could. I, God, will never forget you. Look, here, I have made you a part of me, written you on the palm of my hands. Now, it's kind of confusing when we're trying to describe and work out who God is. Big title of a series. Because God doesn't have a gender. 
God's not a he, God's not a she, God's not an it, God's spirit, and if you get your head around that, you're fine. But for us to understand the character of God more, the Bible actually uses lots of imagery. Uh, so images like, he's like a father, or like a husband, or he's, he's like a hiding place, or he's like a rock, a rock of salvation. Well, today, the imagery that Isaiah is using is an image of a nursing mother to show God's compassion towards us. Compassion. Biblical, uh, sorry, dictionary definition of compassion. The humane quality of, a, uh, the humane quality of understanding the suffering of others and wanting to do something about it. There's different levels of compassion, different ways in which we express compassion. Uh, I'm going to look at four ways. I think three of them are not the way that God expresses his compassion towards us. So the first way is it's a momentary thing. Uh, a few days ago, I watched the late night news with my daughter, 17-year-old daughter. And while we watched, a news item came on the television of another 17-year-old called Mohammed Abu Kader. Some of you may have followed this story. He's a normal kid growing up in, in Jerusalem, and he was simply on his way to school. And on that day, on Wednesday, he was bundled into a car, he was beaten up, he was set fire to, and he was murdered. I watched that news report with my daughter, and we were both shocked. For what reasons did that take place? It's really for reprisals. Because a few weeks earlier, three teenagers were, were, were killed in the occupied West Bank. I looked on at that story and I thought, so tragic. I watched the interview with a mother who was just so distressed. This 17-year-old, and I looked across my daughter, 17 years of age. And for that moment, I shared the lady's pain. I put myself into her shoes. Uh, it, it, for that brief moment, I was with her, united. But to be honest, I've not taken any further action. It hasn't changed my life significantly. I'm not living any differently. That is kind of compassion in the moment. I don't think that's God's compassion towards us. God's compassion isn't momentary. So if it's not momentary, what about is God's compassion merited? Sometimes we are moved by stories to take action. Sometimes we want to be responding to it. You might see the adverts on Channel 4 make a donation to, uh, to, to a child who needs water or to animals that are being mistreated. And, and you see and you want to respond because you're going, do you know what, they deserve some response. They deserve a better life. And so we take action, we make a donation. A few weeks ago, I told the story of the, uh, the four-year-old children in Ghana who were working on the, uh, on the, on the lake who were, in effect, in slave labor and slave slavery. You look at the story of the four-year-old, you go, something must be done in order to respond. We, we've got to do something. And the organization that we as a church are backing, an organization called International Justice Mission, are exactly trying to do that because we are saying, you know, they deserve better. We're looking in on the pain and we go, come on, what can we do in order to improve the conditions? Let's do something about it. Uh, some of you will know Rachel. Rachel Wilson, married to Andrew, worked for a short while with International Justice Mission. She wasn't working on the cases of trying to release uh, children out of sex slavery and she wasn't working on the four-year-old children in Ghana. What she was tasked to, to do was to find a support base to work for 
better conditions for people living in prison. And it was so difficult. Why? Because it wasn't the child caught up in warfare in Syria, and it wasn't the 11-year-old caught up in slavery. It was a man in a prison. Listen to this report about uh, a prison in Rwanda in Africa. Kitarama Prison is the most overcrowded prison in the world, housing 6,000 prisoners in a building designed for 500. Inmates are so hungry they bite chunks of meat out of each other in order to survive. The jail is so congested that inmates have no option but to stand all day and all night and many suffer from rotting feet. The floor is moist and filled with raw feces. Gangrene slowly sets on inmates' toes. They turn black, fall off. Inmates that are so lucky to only have toes fall off, doctors have no choice but to amputate lower limbs in order to save the person's life. The unbearable stench is so horrible that it can be noticed half a mile away upon arriving at the prison. And the survival rate is so low due to the violence and the diminishing conditions in the building where one in eight prisoners will die from disease or violence. The question was asked, why are these people in this prison? They were the perpetrators behind the genocide. And so they deserve no better. They don't deserve merited compassion. Merited compassion is not God's compassion towards us. It's not based on anything that we have done or anything that we deserve. A third way of looking at compassion is something uh, we could call missional compassion. It's kind of driven by a purpose. Kind of whatever the situation, whatever the circumstances, we have got this amazing ability to keep going with very little reward. There's, there's no comeback. We're going we're gonna to look after this nine-year-old child who is swearing and trying to bite and kick and refuses to kind of like be loved in any way. Uh, people who express missional compassion, maybe aid workers, uh, social workers, health professionals, who are saying, you know, I'm on a mission to try and transform this person's life. And so we'll go to great lengths. We'll, we'll put up with the swearing. We'll put up with the punching in order to try and reach in somehow. But however determined and however focused and however committed, there often comes a time and a point when we say enough is just enough. We cannot keep going. There's nothing more that can be done. And so reluctantly we call it a day and we walk away from the nine-year-old hoping that someone else someday will pick up the plight of this child. Missional compassion. Dave and June are returning soon. They've done an amazing job in uh, Bulawayo in Zimbabwe. And there's a school that is up and running. There's various agricultural programs that are up and running. But this farming project and eight acres of land, they've been pouring themselves into it. They've been pouring money and resources into it. And I sat down with them a couple of months back and said, Dave, you just can't. We do not have the resources to do this. And you can see the heartache, you can see the pain, but I'm employing 17 people. It's, it's 17 people's lives that are going to be affected as a result of me pulling away from it. We, we've got to keep going, we've got to keep doing something, and literally he's putting all these eggs in one basket. And as he leaves now, there's a new chicken farm which is emerging. In this desperate hope that we can keep employing people and keep the project going and keep affecting me, I'm saying, Dave, there comes a point when your resources are just not there. That's not like God's compassion for us. God's compassion for us is not limited. So then if God's compassion is not momentary, 
And if God's compassion towards us isn't merited, and if it's not missional, uh, missional, what is God's compassion like? Well, we've seen it in Isaiah 49. Is it possible for a mother, however disappointed or however hurt, to forget her nursing child? Is it? I've been watching Abby this morning, just holding on and just playing and just giving toys and taking care of them. Is it possible for a mother? Can she feel nothing for the baby she's carried and birthed? Even if she could, I, God, will never forget you. Look here, I've made you a part of me, written you on the palm of my hands. The fourth type of compassion is maternal compassion. Now the question is, when do you get payback from a child to make it all worth it? <laughs> Toddlers, they scream, they demand, they have tantrums, they're self-absorbed, they have constant mess, 24 hours attention, they bite, they pull hair, never show appreciation, and they smell. What do they give back? Teenagers. Well, they scream, they demand, they have tantrums, they're self-absorbed, constant mess, and they never show appreciation, and they smell. <laughs> a phrase that me and Blinda often have said in, in recent years, it's a good job we love him. <laughs> See, Isaiah describes God's compassion for Israel like that of a mother. So what is a mother's love like? Because when we see a mother's love, we see something of God's love. That's why Isaiah is doing it. He's painting imagery so that we can understand and get to understand a little bit more of who God is. So what is God's love like? Well, firstly, it's unconditional. I want to honour a lady called Elaine. Let me just, can we just put the video on? Yeah. Let's just watch this. This lady is actually called Elise, who's singing. Should be an audio track with it. Uh, hush now, my baby, be still now, don't cry. I'll walk you sleep, sleep where you lay. Sleep and remember my last lullaby, so I will be there Going to this one. That's a lady called Elise, 25, 25 years of age. If we just pause that one. Elise is 25 years of age. It'd be good to stop that video if we could go back on it. Is it rolled straight into it? Okay. Elise, 25 years of age. Uh, she just shot up with heroin when the video was taken. Uh, lives currently in a hostel in London. For the last 10 years, she's lived either rough on the streets in London or in a hostel or in prison. In and out, it's a cycle. She's addicted to heroin and cocaine. She has disowned her mum. She's even said, my mum does not exist, she's died. Her mum is called Elaine. Elaine is someone in Eastbourne who not many people give much time of the day to. But as I was preparing this message, I really felt as if the love that Elaine has for her daughter Elise is a little bit like God's love. See, Elise has made decisions in her life. But Elaine hasn't walked. In fact, 
during all the last 10 years, she's been up to London. She's, she did not know where she was living at some time. And she would go through the, uh, through the hostels. She would get in touch with the agency. She would try to find her. She would walk the streets literally trying to find her daughter. When she was in prison, she found out where she was. She would go visit her in prison. When, when she was in hostel, she would go and visit her in, in, in the hostels. And even though Elise is someone who says, my mother is dead, she's just constantly been there. And you, I met with Elaine the other day. She's given me permission to share this. Because she has just demonstrated to me something of this unconditional love, regardless and the song that Elise was singing, Hush Little Baby, was actually a song that Elaine used to sing to her when she was a baby. Is it possible for a mother to forget her nursing child? Can she feel nothing for the baby that she's carried and birthed? See, what God the Father's maternal compassion looks like, it's a lot like Elaine's for Elise. However rebellious, however stubborn, or however self-absorbed, or fickle, or irresponsible, or rarely respecting and always rejecting the Israelites were, he never forgot them, and he never will. And however rebellious and stubborn and self-absorbed and fickle and irresponsible we are, God doesn't forget us either. Why? Because we tattooed on his hands, his arms, his body, our names. What else is a mother's love like? Unconditional, yeah, sacrificial. A few years ago, there was a terrible earthquake in Japan. And when the rescuers reached a particular house, uh, uh, the ruins of a young woman's home, they started to excavate and they could see the young woman there who was sort of kneeling on the floor in a kind of in a worshipping position. And her body was leaning forward and it was quite unusual. But the collapsed building had crashed around her and killed her. And when the rescue workers had got to her, they, they came to and they managed to reach through a, a hole to touch to realize that she had died. And so there's nothing more that we can be doing. And so the rescue team moved on to another property. But the leader of that rescue team was kind of quite perturbed by it. It was such an unusual sort of position. Why was she crouching or, or, or positioned like she was? And so there was some compulsion within him that he had to return. And as he reached through the gap again, he reached underneath the body and immediately he could feel another body. It was a body of, of a baby who started to move and started to cry. And he suddenly shouted, there's a baby, there's a baby. And so the rescue team returned. There's this child. See, the whole team worked together and they removed piles of ruined objects around the, the dead woman. And, and underneath her there was a three-month-old boy wrapped in this flowery blanket which was being protected by his mother's body. The woman had made the ultimate sacrifice for saving her son. And when the building was falling, she used her body to somehow shield him and protect him. And the little boy was still peacefully sleeping when the team leader picked him up. The, when the medical examiners came along to, to look at the boy, he opened up the blanket and inside there was a mobile phone in, in the blanket. And there was a text message on the screen. It simply said this, if you survive, you must remember that I love you. God's love is sacrificial. And on the night that he was betrayed, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember my love for you. God's 
the father's maternal compassion is unlimited, it's sacrificial, it's comforting. It's defending. We've been singing songs about it today. Defender of the weak. I've seen this in action on the sidelines of a football match. When my boy was a little boy playing football and he would get injured and it took everything within me to stop my wife running onto the pitch to protect our little brave soldier on the pitch. Uh, the defender. Uh, I've seen other situations where there was a, I think it was 12, playing in another football match and the lad on one of the teams must have said something that so riled someone on the touchline that they charged on the pitch chasing after him. At that moment, mother sprung into action and she charged on after him, waving her bag at him and hitting the person. Why? Because the mother instinctively will be the defender. I've seen boxing matches where, where, where someone was getting so pummeled that the mother went into the ring and started hitting the opponent with her handbag. Why? Because the mother is the defender. What else is a mother like? Forgiven. Belinda just caves in all the time. All the time. That's it. Never again. Ever. Ever. Okay then. All the time. Because she is so incredibly forgiving. A mother's love never gives up. Mother's love is patient. Always provides. Loves to create recovery. A mother's love carries the pain. A mother's love brings safety and security. A mother's love is non-preferential. Which is your favourite child? I, I once asked that to someone. and It's like one of those most dangerous questions. Oh, oh you got a number two. Oh, which is your favourite? And they went to answer me. I said, no, no, don't answer me, please. It's like, no, no, look, that was just an awkward question. Please don't tell me. But actually, someone asked a lady who'd had 12 kids, who do you love the most? And she said this, the one who's sick until he gets well and the one who is away until he gets home. Mother's love is non-preferential. See, why is that? Because mums talk about this special bond from the womb. It's not the only place a special bond has taken place in the womb. The Bible says this. For you were created, or you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Right from the start, God was there, and no mistake. So in the story, we are a little bit like Elise. A little bit messed up, a little bit confused, a little bit stubborn, a little bit rebellious, a little bit wanting to do things our own way, a little bit wanting to live in denial. In the story, God's a lot like Elaine. At times, heartbroken. At times, forever hoping. Always pursuing. Never rejecting. Incredibly forgiving. We are overwhelmingly safe in the love of God. We are eternally secure in his care. We are unconditionally loved by him. We are utterly accepted. And we are never forgotten. Uh, a month or so back, uh, Linda and uh, another lady in the church were just having a time where they were going to be praying with, with another lady. And uh, Debbie was the other person who was going to be praying with Belinda. And uh, Debbie was walking across the car park to, into the King Centre and, and just felt as if God said to her, when you're praying for this lady later on, I want you to tell her, not, I, I know your name and I, know, I even know how to spell it. 
And when they were praying with her later on and they were just hitting some brick walls, really, what, what were the issues? What were the kind of like the, the real barriers to stop this kind of woman living in the freedom and, and living in the sense of liberty that the gospel has brought to her? What, what were the barriers? What was it? And, and suddenly Debbie remembered this phrase, I, and not only do I know your name, but I even know how to spell it. And that's what she just simply said. And at that moment, the, the lady just broke down because her father had gone from her and lost contact and of her earthly father just didn't know even how to spell her name correctly. And just that phrase, that I know how to spell her name, was so significant. And the reality is that we're looking at this God, the Father's maternal compassion. He knows how to spell our name. Why? Well, he's got it written on his hand. He just needs to look. Tattooed into his body our name. I know your name. So when Isaiah's trying to describe God, he's saying, look, at times the Bible talks about God being like the perfect father. But in this passage, it's really talking to us saying, look, it's like the perfect mum. Look, even mums will get it wrong. <laughs> they do. Even mums might even abandon. But God won't. It's like the perfect mum. In a moment, I'm going to put on another video. Hopefully, it's queued up right from the beginning. In a moment. This is a six-minute video. And it shows the journey of a very premature baby and the journey that he took with his family. And while we watch it, I want you to look at the mother's love. I want you to look at the always holding, always believing, always loving, always hoping, Always. Can she feel nothing for the baby she carried and birthed? This is a little taster of God's love for us. Some of you look a mess right now. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I watched this in my office the other day and I was just moved. So moved. I sent a text to my wife. I said, watch this video. You're not going to last long. And she didn't. She got as far as the mother crying at the start. That's it. She was gone for the next five and a half minutes. But I think, can the Bible passage, can she feel nothing for the baby she carried and birthed? It's how God feels about us. And some of us have felt abandoned. Some of us have felt rejected. Some of us feel lonely and hopeless and worthless and insecure and hypersensitive and fear comes in and mistrust has got a hold of us and we're sometimes in hiding and sometimes we're angry and sometimes we're striving and sometimes we live in another world but God just says I've got compassion for you can't you feel nothing for the baby it's like my love for you why don't we stand together some of us fear as if we've gone too far we haven't and even some have felt the anguish and the heartache of being abandoned 
And God says, I have not abandoned you. And I will never leave you. I continue my search for you. I know how to spell your name. I know what letters go in the right place. Why? Because your name is written on my hand. Father, I pray just as we come to the end of our time together that your presence would really just come and speak into our lives right now. We just, uh, if you're in a position where you go, do you know what, I need to know something of God the Father's maternal love. We just respond to God. Earlier on we were talking about waves just washing over us. Or, or I was talking about waves. <laughs> I don't think we were at all, but I just felt as if God wanted to say waves of his love wanted to wash over us. And so Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who just needs to particularly, particularly hear this message. That you'd be like, just like your presence washing over. Kind of deeply cleansing and washing and forgiving and loving and holding and caring. And anyone who has even got to the point where they've disowned you will recognize that you've not abandoned or disowned them. Lord, we pray that uh, you come and just meet with us now. Come and uh, deeply work. And just as we have that image of uh, the mother doing all she can for the safety of her newborn baby, I pray we get that in our minds about your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.